0: Brought to you by Runtogold.com, the premier source for monetary science applied to geopolitical, international, and economic financial news and events. Welcome back to the Runtogold.com podcast. This episode will be on backwardation. I was on a radio show filling in for Jim
1: Willie, so here we go. Jim Willie's perspective is a production of Radio CICN and is produced for informational and educational purposes only. Please remember that all content is solely and completely the viewpoint of Jim Willie, does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff, partners, affiliates or guests of Radio CICN or contrainvestorscafe.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Jim, Willie, and Friends. This week, we've got Trace Mayer back with us again. Hi, Trace. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. i out there in sunny California, and I'm freezing here in Chicago. I'll try not to hold that against you. <laughs> you know, Trace, um, I was really excited when you were coming back on today because I've been reading some of the articles on your website, run and I was really interested in a couple of articles where you mentioned backwardation in the metals, gold and silver. And I have to admit, at first, I was like, he made up that word because I didn't really <laughs> totally understand everything. But you, you write it in a way that really helps to clear it up. And I was thinking it was really important that we do that, both on a couple of levels, one for folks like me who are really neophytes in this area. And also, I think there's a lot of economists who don't get this right either.
0: Yes, I agree. Well well being the doctor of law, I suppose I, I could make up words and it's okay. But yeah, the, these are actually real words and real terms in the in the futures market. Uh the two terms that are related, one is called contango and the other is backwardation. So I suppose that's what we're going to be talking about today.
1: Absolutely. I'd love for you to clear it up.
0: Okay. <clears throat> well when you when you're dealing with <clears throat> commodities, you've got these different instruments that are also related. One is called a futures contract, and the other is called a forward contract. And these different contracts, uh, they're related because you've got the commodity that's deliverable today, and that's the spot price. And then you'll have a futures or a forward contract that allows you to get delivery of the commodity in the future. Uh, And so what will happen is You'll have the commodity, and the spot price might be, say, $100. And you can have a, the right to have that that uh, commodity delivered one month in the future or two months in the future or three months or six months, whatever the, the term of the contract is. And then there will be a price for that commodity in the future. Now, if the commodity – if the price today is $100 and the price – a month from today is $105 or is greater than the price today, then the commodity would be in what's called contango. And if the price today is $100 and the price in the future is $95, then it would be in backwardation. And so with commodities like wheat or corn or cows or uh, pork bellies or oil or gold and silver, uh, depending on the market, and, and what the market sees happening with the future, that will determine how the prices are determined and whether the commodity is in contango or whether it's in backwardation. And so it's an interesting happening when you have a commodity like gold or silver go into backwardation because that's not normally uh, where that, that type of commodity trades. Usually it trades in contango whereas a commodity like oil would usually trade in backwardation and rarely trade in in, in contango. So different commodities behave different ways depending on how the market perceives them.
1: Okay. But we're finding, according to what you wrote, we're finding lately that with gold and silver, it's the norm right now.
0: Yes. Well, not, not with gold. See, gold has gone into backwardation only a few times over the last 30 years. And the last time gold went into the backwardation was uh, in December, and there was really no apparent reason for it. But what's really, really weird is that silver has been in backwardation. Particular contracts with silver have been in backwardation since the 21st of January for consecutive days the whole time. So it's up to almost 24 consecutive days of backwardation for the one-, two-, and three-month contracts total. And then the six-month and 12-month contracts, they were in backwardation for about two weeks and then went out of backwardation, but the six-month contract just went into backwardation uh, today. So, it is very interesting to see silver flipping into backwardation.
1: And why do you suppose that is? Well, see, there are two competing paradigms
0: in finance or in economics. One paradigm is that gold and silver are just commodities. The other paradigm is that they are monetary commodities. And so you really don't want to get caught with your paradigms down, because if you think that silver is just a commodity, like oil or whatnot, then I suppose it could it could trade as such, but if, if you think that silver is a monetary commodity, then when it trades in backwardation, it throws up all types of red flags, <laughs> because here's an example. Let's say that, that, that silver is trading for $100 per unit uh, today, and silver six months from now is trading for $95 per unit, which if you if you have this paradigm that it's just a regular commodity, then yeah, that that could be normal to think of. But if it's a monetary commodity, then silver pays no interest, remember? And so if you buy the silver today, you have to exchange your, your dollars or your euros or your British pounds today, which means that you don't earn interest for six months, and you have to pay storage fees on the silver for six months. So this is why if you view silver as a monetary commodity with a 0% yield, it makes no sense for it to trade for less dollars or less pounds in the future than today because it should trade for more uh, dollars or pounds. And And the more dollars or pounds that it should trade for, should be a function of the interest rate that you would earn on the currency and the cost to store the silver. So if, if you have $100 today and the interest rate is 12%, that means you'd need to earn 6% interest over the six months. Plus, let's say it costs $3 to store the silver. Therefore, uh, the price of silver six months from today should be 100 plus 6 plus 3, or $109 uh but but it would make no sense for it to be $95 because then uh you're you're missing out on the $6 of interest you have to pay the $3 of storage fees but why is why is the the, the currency the monetary commodity of silver cheaper in the future <laughs> it, and so it really kind of starts sucking in the dollars and pounds into the silver present delivery. People say, hey, just give me the silver today, and then just sit on it.
1: Well, that actually makes a lot of sense. So
0: does that help uh, clarify a little bit of that? We've got a bunch of finance professors or economists that view silver as just a regular commodity. They don't view it as money. They don't view it as a currency. Do
1: you think that's because silver gets used in
0: I think that the market might be a little bit confused on how it views silver because there are so many industrial applications with silver and because the worldwide economy is slowing down, so obviously we won't need to use as much silver to make cell phones or light bulbs or whatever it is. So maybe the market's a little bit confused about silver's role. Maybe, I mean, there could be any number of reasons why why it could be slowing down, but I think the important one to focus on is this, this monetary characteristic, because silver is a precious, a semi-precious metal. It's really a quasi-currency. It, it doesn't have the huge above-ground stockpiles like gold does, but it's still, at all times and in all circumstances, silver is still money. Okay. And so, that's I mean, that's a fundamental basic economic law that I think... A lot of finance professors or economists might try to try to avoid. They might say, "Oh,
1: no, no, no! It's
0: not a currency at all times and all circumstances." But truth of the matter is that it is just like gold. So, well,
1: and traditionally, it's traded at a, um, a a shorter um, ratio than what it's trading at now. So the potential for it to grow is is bigger right now, isn't it?
0: A, a shorter ratio to what? To gold? <laughs>
1: to gold, yeah.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I wrote in, in my article. I did uh, hit on the gold to oil. I mean, the gold to silver ratio, and actually, in some other articles, I hit on the silver to oil ratio also. Uh, but yeah, it. Let's see when when the when this latest bull started romping around a little bit, it was about eighty ounces of silver for an ounce of gold, which for a couple of years there it was about fifty five ounces of silver for one ounce of gold, but then in October, November, when everything kind of went haywire, uh, everybody sold their silver, but they didn't necessarily sell their gold, and probably because they were confused on its monetary characteristics, and so that ratio went up, but now that ratio has been coming back down, so it's down to about 70 or so right now, and uh, so, so I, I think that that ratio will probably continue to decrease and it'll 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 move back towards its mean revision of probably 50 fifty five at least what we've seen over the last couple of years but you know it could have a little speculative froth and move up to like 40 or even even lower
1: okay um you know another thing that I wanted to talk to you about you were talking um, about the the curiosity of the the collectors in India and how you know they're zapping up a lot of the silver in the market right now, do you think... I mean, there's been a lot of talk about silver shortages and everything. Do you think that that's a real possibility? Well, well, it definitely is for the people in India because in India they
0: consume about 3,000 physical tons a year. And the, the Reserve Bank of India, for some reason, they decided to uh, renew the license to import physical gold, but they haven't renewed the license to import physical silver. So they're, I mean, they're trying to restrict the supply of silver to people in India, which, which takes thousands of tons off the physical demand market. So yeah, for people in India, we're, we're seeing shortages. And of course, when, when you look at shortages, well, what, what's the definition of one? And, and as premiums and delivery times increase, well, that's evidence of a shortage. And I was just at a conference in Phoenix I wanted to buy a couple of the Australian Philharmonic silver coins because they're just beautiful, and I had to pay twenty dollars for three of them. You know that that was the price, and all the all the coin dealers that were there sold out all their inventory. So we had, we had a shortage of silver coins at the conference because they sold everything out. Uh, so they could have raised price or they could raise delivery times, but yeah, we're we're starting to see quite a bit of these evidences of shortages in the market uh, because the, the price over spot is increasing and the delivery times uh, are increasing. You know, when people say shortage, it's like, oh, well, I don't have any. Well, that that you don't necessarily not have to have any supply for there to be a shortage. It's seeing those prices rise and the delivery times rise that start to indicate shortages. You know, eventually the shortage might get so bad that, you can't you know you might have to pay $1000 over spot to get a coin and wait 10 months or whatever <laughs> so so i mean the shortages aren't super bad yet but yeah they could get pretty bad and i think one of the one of the reasons this is important you know going back to the backwardation is with a futures contract you have mark to market on a daily basis and then the margin uh, limits because when you trade a futures contract, most of them are traded on margin. And so, that those margin requirements are checked daily. And, and so, it, whereas with a forwards contract, you don't have that daily mark-to-market margin. And so, the forward contract is, has a lot more susceptibility to credit risk, uh, to the potential that the other side of the contract will not deliver their silver, which would be a silver shortage. And right. so, what what we're seeing is, like on the COMEX, for example, those silver futures contracts are not in backwardation, but the LBMA forward rates are in backwardation. And the LBMA trades a lot more silver than the COMEX. So, I think that they're... That they're uh, I like looking at their prices just because it's a deeper, more liquid market, and it's showing that backwardation also, you know, I think a big component of it is the potential failure to deliver when they've contracted to deliver silver and not coming up with it. I think that's a big component of it, this fear of of failure to deliver of silver. And that might be another reason why silver's been moving into backwardation on the LBMA. And the LBMA, I mean, that's the, you know, that, that's the London spot market. That's where, when, when you trade the physical bullion, that's where it happens. So people are obviously uh, buying the physical silver, sticking it on a truck and taking it over to Zurich or something, probably. But they're they're not leaving it in the hands of somebody else, and they're not accepting somebody else's promise to deliver silver. They're saying, "Give it to me right here, right now," and and I don't care that, that I'm I'm paying more today than I would in six months. I don't want your promise because I think right. there will be a shortage because you won't be able to fulfill
1: your promise. So that's uh, that's what I think is happening on the LVMA. You know, that really helps clear a lot of that up. You talked about being at Cambridge House's Silver Conference, the Silver Summit. Yep. Um, and I was wondering what the overall...
0: it up. An esoteric topic, or if they just didn't know about it, or I, I don't know. But but anyways, we we didn't really talk about it, which was kind of interesting.
1: <laughs> so what were what were some of the major topics? I mean, what is the overall view um, for the future of silver and, and you know the metals at the conference? Well,
0: well of course all, all the silver bugs. I think silver is going to go to the moon. So <laughs> and uh, and they're probably right. <laughs> So it's uh, yeah, it was very much uh, very bullish for silver and the silver prices. They you know, they mentioned this gold to silver ratio that's a little bit out of whack. Ted Butler was talking about just the silver market in general, how much of the silver we've consumed because that's the interesting thing about silver is because it is a quasi monetary commodity. It's also the industrial commodity. So we have we have tons and tons of silver that are in landfills and. And other things throughout throughout the world, and for for a century, we well we were storing you know we stored a lot of silver and we, we had you know several billion ounces of above ground stockpiles. But the U.S. government has disported themselves of all the silver, and you know when there's a lot of supply and demand keeps growing, but there's the supply there, then the price doesn't necessarily go up. And now that we're in structural deficits consume a lot more silver than we produce, mine-wise, and because we've eaten through those huge stockpiles, like 10 billion ounces, I think is what uh, Jason Hommel mentioned. Uh, Now, you know, silver is going to get a little bit more tight, and if we continue using it in these industrial applications for refrigerators or cell phones or whatever it is, and we have people who think of it as money and want to just store it and sit on it, then yeah, that price is going to Going to go up quite a bit because because so many people want it and want the actual physical metal, you know, because you can't build a cell phone without physical silver. So I, everyone was pretty pretty bullish on the prospects for silver, which they usually are, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it's, it's pretty interesting uh, seeing a lot of their viewpoints. I think I think one thing that should be kept in mind with silver is that usually about ninety percent of its gains happen in about 10% of the time. And it usually happens extremely quickly. Uh, If you go back and look at the numbers and try to figure out standard deviations and uh, how fast it rises and things. And so silver is a very volatile metal. It'll just sit there not doing anything for nine months and then it'll go up like 90% in one month. (laughs) Except it, it usually happens over a period of years. So... With, with silver, it's it's much more volatile, but there's a lot more upside potential to it than gold. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with just uh, how gold has such large above-ground stockpiles. It's much slower to move because uh, it takes a lot more capital to move that market. But silver, silver still got a lot of upside potential and not really a whole lot of downside potential because, say, it's, right now it's $14 an ounce. Well, it can never become worthless unlike a share of Bear Stearns or something. So <laughs> you've, got, you've got an automatic put on silver because uh, it can't become worthless. And so that limits your downside. And it's only $14 an ounce. So, I mean, you can buy 1,000 ounces or whatever, and it's 14000 bucks. And the lowest it might go is maybe $4 an ounce or who knows. Uh, but then there's a the huge upside potential. In 1980, we saw it go to about $500 an ounce. And uh, actually, for my new book, I'm, I'm going to be releasing a book probably within the next month called The Great Credit Contraction. In there, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have charts on house prices in terms of silver. And okay. so we're seeing, we're seeing uh, ho- house prices continue their trend when priced in silver. Uh, and an aver- a median price on a U.S. house would be maybe a 1,000 ounces of silver. Down from its record of about forty-three thousand ounces back in two thousand three. So wow. <laughs> so I mean, you can you can use silver to perform mental calculations of value just like you can use uh, gold to do that. It's just a little bit more unreliable because it's a lot more volatile than gold for that purpose. But it still it can still function like like that because going back to these competing paradigms. You know, it's either a commodity or it's a monetary commodity, and I I think it's a monetary commodity. I think people buy silver because of some of its monetary properties, like being a store of value, because it has that inherent put option on it, so.
1: Well, and, you know, you wouldn't consider buying something with, you know, a bushel of wheat these days. I mean, there was times in the past when that might have been possible, but... You know, certainly the potential for being able to purchase something with silver is there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've got
0: cans. I, I got a couple of cans of wheat because I eat wheat and I like it. So I got a couple extra cans to store my value. But you, you have a six-pound can of wheat, and I think I bought that can for $2. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, so, so I get a, a box of those cans of six, and that's, about $12 or I can have a little one ounce coin, you know, Mm -hmm. which one's going to be a lot easier to store and move a Mm -hmm. 30 pound box of wheat or a one ounce coin. Right. And then, and then the same thing goes, well, do do I want 80 of those coins or do I want one ounce of, of a gold coin? (laughs) And so, so silver, because it is, much more divisible, at least for the ordinary daily transactions, if you were to actually use the physical coins instead of some digital medium, uh, like gold money, for example, Uh, it it does function for that because it doesn't have that huge uh, inherent value like gold does. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that the governments have uh, disrobed themselves of all their silver, which they haven't done with gold. Which I think is really funny because, you know, all these finance professionals and all these economists, they're like, oh, gold is just a barbarous relic and gold has no intrinsic value, blah, 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 and other just incessant babbling. And, you know, <laughs> if it does, if gold really is what you say it is, then why don't the governments just sell all of it, sell now, all your gold? Why are they holding on to it? Yeah, why why do you keep holding on to it if it's uh, if it's not money? <laughs> oh, we don't want right. to disrupt the market. Uh, I don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I do either. <laughs> and so, it, what what would be really interesting to see is if uh, some of the central banks decide that they want to start holding silver. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun?
1: <laughs> you think there's shortages now?
0: Yeah, you think there's shortages now have these uh, central banks come in and buy a, uh, buy some silver. I think there, you know, let's say there's, there's been 25 billion ounces of silver mined in the history of the world, and let's say 15 billion of it's in the landfills. I mean, no one really knows because it's hard to track all these things. But let's assume, just for the sake of argument, that there are 10 billion ounces of silver in above, above ground that could possibly be hoarded. And put in a, a central bank vault. Well, 10 times 14, <laughs> we're talking a minuscule amount of metal compared to the current amount of uh, currency illusions that are out there, like Federal Reserve no, notes or no British kidding. pounds. So <laughs> there's probably about 4 four to $5 trillion dollars of gold, at least at current prices. And so silver, <laughs> you know, 10, 10 billion times 14, so $140 billion. Uh, Hundred forty billion compared to four trillion. I mean, it's just a tiny market to get the actual physical metal. So I think there's, you know, if there are any big players like the Saudis or or anyone and don't else, don't be giving like any ideas. Uh, why not? <laughs> I own my silver. <laughs> I'd be I'd be glad to sell it to them for uh, well when, when we get to about a sixteen ounces of silver for one ounce of gold. Sure, awesome. Oh, okay, silver. all
1: right. In that in that case, sure. Absolutely. I've got you a know, little cell too. Yeah, they they can I bought it
0: while it was cheap and uh and you know, if they want to buy it and make it make it get expensive when priced in gold, yeah, I'll sell sell them a little bit. <laughs> but but yeah, and and see that's the thing. A lot of people are like, Oh, don't buy gold, it's un American or whatever they want to whine about But the truth of the matter is that that gold and they don't, they don't care who owns them, and they don't really care about a flag or you know they, they don't care about any of this. They're the market's money. Whereas in contrast to Lord Keynes, he, he called it the the theory is called chartalism, and chartalism is the theory that the law gives money its value, versus the Austrian viewpoint that the market. Is what determines money's value. And, you know, the, these governments, they just print up tickets and think they're supposed to have value. Well, gold and silver, they have value regardless of whether some criminal gang that's costumed in government regalia says it has value or not. And so there's nothing that they can really do about it, <laughs> it's, it's going to be valuable in itself. And so the, the governments they definitely have a problem when they have gold and silver allied together making assaults on their on their little paper
1: tickets. <laughs> paper tickets, I love that. One of the <laughs> well, that's things I like are. about the trade say what you think and you mean what you think. <laughs>
0: Autopsy on this worldwide financial system that's uh, being kept alive on the respirator, and it'll be it'll be very interesting, uh, I think, for a lot of people. It 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 has how this came about, why what's happening is happening, and then what people can do to protect themselves and their assets and their families. And so it'll be a, a really helpful resource, I think, for people. And it it's also it's going to be pretty high quality. I have, a, I have an editor working on it. She's a professor at a, at a law school, so uh, w- along with a lot of the legal citations in the book, I have over 110 citations and footnotes in it. So it, it's a good foundational document for people to understand what's happening, why, and where they can go to get more information on it. And So that, that'll be coming out in hopefully a month or so. I'm working with the designer to make it real pretty for everyone uh, when they yeah. read it. So just stay close to my website run2gold.com with the with the free email list, and when I release it, you'll you'll know about it.
1: All right, very good. And you know, we'll definitely look forward to talking with you again in about a month or so. We're really glad that you've agreed to be part of this uh, rotation here, in Jim Willie and friends definitely like what you have to say and how you say it. Okay, well, thank you, Michelle. <laughs> All right, well, we'll look forward to talking with you again in about a month. Okay.
0: Well, that wraps up episode 24 of the RunToGold.com podcast on Backwardation. Talk to you later. You've been listening to the RunToGold.com podcast, the premier source for applied monetary science on the web.